I'm Tracy Burns. I'm a financial advisor with UBS. And this podcast is five things. You're going to learn five things and then you're going to move on because we all have stuff going on. This podcast and I are on a mission to help women through divorce, transition. My goal is to empower them. I have a super soft spot for female founders and entrepreneurs. And of course, closing the wage gap. I have three teenagers, two are girls. I have a personal interest in getting us there. Hopefully this podcast is one small step that can help all of that. Please, before we get into today, listen to our previous podcasts. We've done five things your business should be thinking about right now. Five people you should be surrounding yourself with. We interviewed self-made billionaire Cindy Eckert, and she talked about reasons why you need to be quirky to succeed. It was so fun. And of course, why cash is queen. There's a ton of good stuff out there. Um, so please check out the old ones. So diving into today, I, I, I love this and I'm thrilled because we're going to talk about getting more women on boards. Breen Sullivan is the founder of The Fourth Floor. It is this cool ecosystem that is basically trying to reimagine, reinvent, and help us support female entrepreneurship. Um, Breen has an amazing background. I'm going to let her tell her story. Not to mention, you have to explain um, your name because I think it's so cool. <laughs> but JD from Tulane, BA from Yale, I mean, your experience in the classroom and outside is, is basically unfounded. So first, welcome. Second, you know, tell us how you went from being this high profile attorney to saying, I want to start this organization that helps women rise. <laughs> okay, well, absolutely. Um, it's my pleasure. It's definitely my favorite subject to discuss. So <laughs> very That's happy awesome. to do that. <laughs> Uh, um, like, like you said, my name is Breen Sullivan and actually Breen, it is Irish. So it, um, you know, it rhymes with green, but it starts with a B. <laughs> I have been told that it is the, the Celtic version of Brian. I, don't totally quote me on that. If there's anyone Irish listening to this, they might be laughing, but I do think <laughs> that there are like a number of old men in Ireland that are named Breen. I have been told this. Um, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> that that is my name. Um, I you know I have grown to love it over the years. I'm always the only one. Right, I um, love it, which, which is great. So I so thank you for that really generous, fabulous introduction. I am a lawyer, and I actually so I you know I I started off my legal career like many do at a law firm, and then I pretty quickly went in house, and I actually worked at three different mid size tech startups that were rapidly growing. I was the first legal hire for two of them. And the third company was larger and, and further along. So I was not the first legal hire. I actually entered as the chief administ administrative officer and took over the legal function and the people function. So I was the chief legal officer and the chief human resource officer. And that was a, a private equity portfolio company. So it was a larger company. Um, the uh, first two companies where I was the first legal hire and sort of built out a legal function. Uh, the first was energy efficiency, and then the second company was data science. Um, third company was ed tech. So all tech, all different industries. It was actually at my second company, so this was the data science company, where I had the insight. And the, the insight really came from, from just realizing there was a very subtle access issue 
that I was experiencing. (laughs) And I wasn't alone. It really uh, extended to pretty much everyone who just wasn't getting the tap on the shoulder. And what I mean by that, I think, you know, in tech, it's largely male, you know, it's largely white male. It's, it's uh, networks that are pretty um, insular and, and connected to each other. So, you know, the tech network, also venture, uh, private equity, there's just a lot of overlap. And, and I was just, you know, a little bit out of the loop, right? I was a woman, number one. Um, I was a lawyer, number two. And I know no one is like crying sad songs for lawyers, but, um, but still. So I, I recognized this access issue I was experiencing. And, and I had to sort of unpack it a little bit, like what exactly couldn't I access? And what it really boiled down to was that the starter opportunities, the under the radar, like baby beginning opportunities when it comes to building a for-profit board career, and then also an investment portfolio or an equity portfolio. And, And I realized a lot of the, my colleagues around me, they just had access to these baby beginner starter opportunities. And, and, you know, for, and mostly it's because they're, you know, they know someone, you know, someone, and yeah. it, it just sort of works out. And, and so I was frustrated by that. I realized I was not alone because I was connected to a couple of very large networks of women lawyers in-house general counsel, and, and they all felt the same way. And then, but my really the eureka moment for me was when I stumbled into a women entrepreneur event. So this is, this was, you know, a a professional networking event that was primarily for women founders, which is something I just, as a lawyer, I typically hung out with other lawyers. I, I just wouldn't usually go to an event like this. And I was the only lawyer, in fact, there at this event. And by the end of the night, it became really obvious to me that there was this incredible appetite and interest uh, that women founders had to add to their advisory boards someone like me, who was a generalist, who had been the first legal hire for a couple of rapidly growing startups, and that my particular value add would be really relevant to this group of early stage women founders. And so I, I saw this, right? I saw there was just all of this value that could be created on both sides. It was just being left on the table because me and women like me wanted those beginner opportunities and women founders needed us. We could help them and they wanted to give us those beginner opportunities. So I realized that. And, and that was really connecting the dots, seeing, okay, these these groups of women don't usually meet each other, but they both have something the other wants <clears throat> and, and they don't necessarily realize it. But if we bring them together in one place and we empower, we de- demystify, we, we make this really easy for all of these women founders who face their own systemic challenges and access issues. Just it's not about starting their for-profit board careers, but it is about accessing funding and opportunity for their, their company. So we, we empower them and, and ensure that they are building out their advisory board and they're seating independent directors strategically on their governing boards to really protect their interests. Then that creates this whole crop of, of board-related opportunities that didn't exist yesterday. 
And then we take all the women like me who really want to get started and you know get those opportunities, and we bring them all together <laughs> in this tech-enabled community with you know, no geographic uh, barriers or boundaries, and enable them to start exchanging those opportunities directly. And that so that was the idea of the fourth floor. That's how it all got started. Started out really as an idea that you know turned into a community because I kept talking about it. Some articles got written, and then it just really took off from there. And you know, over this past year with COVID and with the you know digital uh, digital powered communities that have really just starting to like have their moment in the sun, all of that is just really aligned to help us launch this platform that we have now. Um, that where we're you know accepting applicants every day and we continue to grow. Um, where we have a board seat exchange, and um, we also are launching an, a, our version of an investment club, um, which is an extension upon that. So I know that was a ton. No, <laughs> I, but it's all amazing. And so, okay, before we dive in, so I love this idea of basically getting more women on boards. We've been hearing this diversity and inclusion. People have to start acting on it. And we also know now that the more diverse a board is, the better the bottom line is, like period, end of story. We know this for a fact. What we also know is that more and more women actually want to do this. I know I want to do this eventually. Um, and before we dive in to how, what, what is, what is the, the meaning behind the fourth floor? Um, you mean the, like the name itself? Yeah, the yeah. Floor? Um, yeah, where'd you get that? Um, well, uh, there are a few different reasons. I actually feel like there is, <laughs> There is the reason that I am supposed to say, and then there's the reason that is the truth. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the reason that sounds good um, is that, and is also true, it's not untrue, but the fourth floor, it's, it's when you, it's symbolic of when you hit that point in your career where you, you know the emperor is not wearing clothes. Mm. Um, you've realized that. But you also have come far enough and you have your your hands on the levers of power like you're you you are connected now to people where you are able you're empowered to really now take action proactively and build and make things happen for yourself so you know you're not you're not at the top you still have a ways to go but you've you've broken through and you've hit that you know that plane where you can really see the landscape for what it is and you can start building on it so it's very it's stable it's a foundation um, the, the, the other reason is that I, when I was, you know, when I was having the insight that was, that was leading to, to this idea of the fourth floor, and I was thinking about it constantly, thinking about it a lot. And I, I, it was lots of different things were going on in my life at that moment. And one of the things was that I was nearing my forties, it was about to turn 40. And I felt that this decade you know, like, so for women, a lot of times you're turning 40 and this, you know, you're, you're, you're made to feel bad about that somehow. Yeah. Like yeah. you feel like, okay, I'm turning 40 and now somehow my stock is going to plummet, you know, versus these men around me, they're turning 40 and they're finally good looking for the first time. Right? <laughs> it's so true. It's oh, like, the, right. So, but it's, but it's like, if we don't have like, you know, a resume to prove ourselves at 40, you feel like a failure. 
Right, right. All these things. So, yeah. you know, for me, it's, it's like, it's really, um, you know, it, it's, there's a lot going on when you're a woman and you're, and you're approaching that fourth decade. And what I realized, I just felt so strongly. I just felt like, no, you know what? Th- this is, this is, we're thinking about this all wrong because this decade, like this is going to be incredible, yeah. right? Because no matter what our stories have been, by the time we're turning 40 and you're entering into that, you know, the fourth floor, fourth decade of your life, you know who you are and you know what you want and you know the emperor isn't wearing clothes. And you also, you're, you're not, how to say this, I don't want this to come off wrong, but like by, by this point, you tend not to be completely focused on other people. You know, now you can really focus on yourself. You know, maybe you had your kids, maybe you're not having kids, maybe you got married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're never getting married, whatever it is. <laughs> You are really unfettered in a way that you weren't before. And that I think is really empowering. And I think there's an incredible amount of potential. And I think if you take that and you combine it with the fact that the world has changed today, the landscape is different. Like I know we still have so far to go, but we're standing on the shoulders of our mother's generation and the generations before. And, you know, we're in a position now for the first time to actually have our hands close to some of those levers of power. Like we're not, we're not sitting on the board yet. We're not in the C-suite yet, you know, not in the numbers we should be, but like we at least have, <laughs> we've, we've infiltrated. So, you know, now we're in a position like with the, like this decade, we're empowered. We can see it for what it is. And, you know, we're, we've snuck into some of those clutch positions and now we can flip the switch. Yeah. So, you know, that, that was really the, you know, the real reason it was really like, uh, it was, it was welcome to the fourth floor. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And, and for someone who has just entered the fifth floor, I feel like this decade is going to be just even better. So with that, (laughs) with that, let's talk about the, you know, your five things when looking for a board seat, because one, women have so much to give back, but two, they need to be aware that it's not like looking for a regular job, right? You need a separate resume, you need things. And so the first thing, your first point is, you know, what are your, what are your goals? What's your time frame? Like, what, what are you looking for, I guess, when it comes to being on a board? Yes, yes. Okay, so I think, I think there's a couple of just like broad categories, broad strokes, 10,000 foot view. You know, there are not-for-profit boards, and then there are for-profit boards. So I think like first and foremost, if, if, you're, if you're thinking that your ultimate goal, like what, what you would like to see one day, you would like to see yourself uh, getting tapped or being a candidate for a public company board seat, you know, maybe a household name public company board seat. Okay, so that's your goal. So how do you get there from where you are right now? And, and so then once you identify that goal, you start mapping out, work backwards and start mapping your path there. And when you're talking about for-profit board experience and being a candidate for these, these increasingly large and impressive opportunities, the single most important thing that you have on your resume in order to even be considered for those bigger opportunities is to have some sort of for-profit board experience. So it's a little bit like chicken in the egg, right? You can't get a board seat unless you've had a board seat. So how do you get a board seat? And I think a lot of women 
will then think, okay, well, I can get a not-for-profit board seat. And, and I'm not, you know, and I'm not, I'm not trying to knock not-for-profits. Like they're obviously wonderful. It can be incredible experience. There are certain situations where getting a not-for-profit board seat can make a lot of sense. Sometimes it can be, uh, it can be useful in your bigger um, uh, uh, trajectory or search for the for-profit board opportunities, but frequently it's not so helpful. And it can be a different uh, track that you then start uh, moving forward on. And that doesn't necessarily get you to the, the big for-profit board opportunity seat if that's what you're ultimately buying for. Oh, so I think you need to understand like there is a distinction between for-profit and not-for-profit, even if it's a really big not-for-profit uh, versus for-profit op- opportunities, even if they're really small. That's super, that's super interesting and important to know, because I guess that leads into your next point, which is when you look for this first opportunity, what industry, what size, and, and arguably then you could say small, right? You start small. And, and I think that also falls into, dare I say free, right? Like sometimes it might be okay to take small and free. Okay, so yes. And and one other one last note about the not for profits frequently you have to pay ah, see? to participate, like to, to be a board oh, member. Right. Like you have to make a contribution. Right. You yeah. have to make a contribution. So you're actually you're you're paying for that opportunity, but it also isn't necessarily valuable when you put it on your resume and you're trying to get a for-profit opportunity. So you have to really, so you need to proceed with caution. Um, sometimes like if it was really to chair an audit committee or some sort of um, experience that's very translatable and just no one can deny the value in whatever context, it might still be helpful. So I'm not saying it's hundred percent unhelpful, but like be wary and like really understand what you're ultimately searching for and how much that will help you or not to get there. And then with not with for-profit, small opportunities. So when you're talking about, um, you know, everything from like a teeny tiny startup that is, you know, idea stage, maybe they haven't even written a line of code, but they are going to build out their advisory board first, right? So you have that that type of board opportunity, which is an advisory board opportunity, which is like, you know, the paperwork has been filed, but that's it, like super early stage. Yeah. All the way through having having large private company boards, a company that's about to IPO, and there are independent director seats that are being appointed for those boards that are compensated for sure, not at the public company level, but pretty close. And, you know, those are, those are huge positions. Those are huge opportunities. And, and there's frequently, um, you know, very significant compensation that goes with those opportunities. So you have this broad range when you're talking about for profit. <laughs> so, um, so free, not necessarily, because one thing about for profit, it's that even if it's that teeny tiny idea stage company where you're an advisory board member, typically there is compensation. Now it's in the form of equity, you know, usually if this company is pre-revenue and it's super tiny, but it's that's a little bit like lottery tickets, mm-hmm. number one. You never know. And it's also like as companies, as small companies mature and as they survive, you know, hopefully in part due to you sitting there on their advisory board, then they are seeding 
their governing boards. They're looking, there are director opportunities and being an advisor, you're part of that, that bench that often will be looked at as candidates for director positions. So that's one thing not to, not to forget about. And then the other thing is that, you know, as these companies grow and, and now you're, you know, you're in the mix, you're serving in this advisory capacity, you, you frequently want, you know, board networks are different from professional networks. So now you're part of a board network. So then it's much more likely that you will find other opportunities and you can continue to explore these types of, of smaller company opportunities. You're accruing equity. Sometimes there can be some cash compensation as well, although that's less frequent. And you're, you're just really expanding the overall pool of, of the likelihood of getting larger and larger board opportunities if you continue you know, to work this, like, you know, down the path. We, this is great. We hopped around to a bunch of different points, though, a bunch of your diff points. The last and final one was what we require in return. And we're saying equity experience, you know, I give you whatever time, talent, time and talent I have, and I get back all this amazing resume experience and two potential to have a serious seat. If indeed the company makes it, that's amazing. But the board network part is really fascinating because you're basically saying once you get in the board circle, you, you end up meeting someone who sits on another board who says, oh, by the way, we need someone like you. And the next thing you know, you're networking in an entirely different realm of yeah. people. Yes. Um, yeah, that is a great point, And that is true. And I think and there's one other thing that I think is also really relevant here. And this has to do with you know, like, what are your personal goals? So, you know, maybe your personal goal is, you know, like we said, one day, you want this big, high profile, highly compensated board opportunity or many opportunities. And you want to start now so that you're a prime candidate in five years or 10 years for all of those seats. Okay, great. But what else are you looking for? Like maybe, maybe you're looking for, I want to have my own personal portfolio of, of equity in a bunch of different startups because I think that's really fun and very exciting and really cool. Okay. Maybe you're also looking for investment opportunities, angel investment opportunities. There's literally no better way to find out about so many excellent angel investment opportunities than getting involved with the startup community as an advisor. Like that's a great, you know, that can just be wealth creation, right? That might be something you're interested in. And then there's another thing. And this really, I really felt this, like this was part of having the idea in the first place for the fourth floor was uh, some frustration you can feel, right? I, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying all women do, but a lot of women feel this where you hit that point in your career and it's just harder for the people around you to see you as C-level or to see you as like, oh yeah, we're going to take a risk on this person. They're definitely going to be able to handle it. They're ready for that next big thing. Like it's harder to just get that buy-in as a woman, right? It's challenging, like yes. as you're approaching the senior ranks. And this is why there aren't as many women in the C-suite and senior management, et cetera. So one great tool that you can have at your disposal, it's this. It's going out there and getting started, getting these starter advisory board opportunities, and, and then really working that. Put that in your LinkedIn profile. Put that into your resume. Really, uh, you know, do the do the inner hard work yourself. Like, think about okay, how does this experience directly translate into my own 
you know, leadership skills and professional development opportunity. And what am I seeing here? Like this is now I'm coming in, I'm using my, you know, operator skill set to really help this, this organization holistically and as a strategic advisor. And, and this is really, really valuable skills that makes me way more um, attractive for that next big promotion and for that C-level seat and for whatever it is you're buying for professionally. And, and I think that this can be something that can really help us convince the organizations where, where we work as professionals to, to look at us differently. So in that sense, I think these opportunities can also help you just professionally in your own career achieve the requisite heights that you often need to achieve to really be a candidate for those bigger and bigger board opportunities that, that, you know, that are in the news all the time and that we're trying, you know, the metrics where we're trying to get that to 50-50 and it's not, you know, it's woefully short of that. But like, how, how are you actually go- going to have you know, like they, a lot of times they only are interested in someone who, you know, has been a CFO in Spain. Okay. So how are you going to, to be a CFO in Spain? One is to get started really building out these, these board networks, not just your professional networks and, and getting these skills and experiences and really um, advocating for yourself to keep getting promoted so that you end up that CFO in Spain, who's now already, already has a board resume. I think it's amazing. And I also think it creates opportunity for you at the startup or wherever you are sitting at the board. So, and maybe they'll look at you as she could be our next CFO. She could be our next CEO based on her, what she's done for us on the board. Because right. your, the last point we didn't address was, you know, why are you an ideal candidate for this board, op- this board opportunity? And I, and I think that's part of it, right? That I have the opportunity to take this company to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and yeah, and again, I know that was, um, that was a question, like thinking about like what makes you the best candidate, you know, this is a little bit like the question you asked me before, just like, you know, what is the ideal opportunity? What does that look like? Well, one piece of that is where do you personally bring the most value right away? So wherever you are right now today in this moment in your career, there is, you know, I mean, assuming that you are someone who is is professional, you've had a certain number of years of work experience, you are you know, you have developed skills and expertise over the years and and networks and connections that are valuable, which is many, many um, senior women, but, you know, they they maybe have not quite, they they still have a ways to go. They're on the fourth floor. They're not, you know, in the penthouse yet. But for those (laughs) women, there, there is a company out there. There is a board where they can immediately bring value with what their particular core industry skills are, their particular experiences, their networks and connections, the the people they have influence with, there is specific value. There are a specific company where they can bring tangible, immediate value. And so identifying that, like really thinking about, okay, what are the different industries where I have operated, where I know people, where I'm connected to networks, where where I know my core industry skills that I've learned over this, you know, 15, 20 years I've been working, where I know that they can be directly valuable and, and really start to like narrow that focus and, and point your arrow at exactly what that looks like for you today. 
And, and then that helps narrow the search. And then you're, you, you've already gone a lot of the distance of really putting together your own, you know, what essentially is your board bio and what is your elevator pitch, which is why you're valuable for that particular company, <laughs> which, you know, which is, a lot of times is very unique, right? Yeah. It's a specific, it's a specific reason why you are the right person at that time for that company in this way. And it's, and it's a great exercise because we all should take a step back and look at what we've accomplished. And, and, you know, as you said earlier, we don't take the time to pat ourselves on the back We're the expectations are there that we're, you know, that we're supposed to be doing X, Y, and Z. And because we're not, we feel like we're behind the eight ball and it's just not true. And I think that one of the most amazing things about the fourth floor is that when people come and join, and I want you to tell them how to do that, you realize how many rock star women there are out there because they're, they're members. Your members are, it is such an impressive group of women. So before I let you go, cause I could talk to you all day, please tell everyone how, how they can find you, how they can join, um, and, uh, and the, the website and all that stuff. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for saying that about our member base. I oh, think it's I amazing. Agree. It is a rock, <laughs> rock star group of women, rock star. It, it is. It is for, for sure. I'm, I'm always blown away and I'm always just like, Oh my goodness. I can't I'm just so, um, I'm blown away that there are members in the fourth floor. I agree. Um, so the way to join is to apply and you can do that through our website, which is the fourth floor, all one word, lowercase, everything spelled out, no numbers, the fourth co. And once you land on our website, there is a big apply here button. So you click on that and then you have to complete an application. Um, we do, it's an application process. We ask for basic information and then, and then if you meet our criteria for membership, then, <clears throat> then we welcome you. It usually takes a few weeks. And, um, and then that's how you join. And then once you are accepted, the, you, then you purchase the membership that is right for you. And then you become part of the community and you can immediately, uh, complete your candidate information profile at just upon joining, which makes you immediately searchable in the board seat exchange. Um, we, we are also offering um, it isn't, it hasn't gone live yet, but it's going live very soon. We are offering a reduced price membership for people who just want to be a dream backer, which is what we're calling our version of an investment club. It's basically a board seat exchange, but with investment. So that will also be a choice. So if that is what you're interested in, um, please keep a lookout for that. Um, I think, and then I guess otherwise, I would say, please follow us on LinkedIn because we have a lot of programming that is, that's where members and non-members, just people who are curious about joining are able to participate. So we have a few things coming up. In fact, this week that you can sign up for if, um, even if you're not a member. So following us on LinkedIn, the fourth floor, you can follow me personally. You'll get to the fourth floor that way. And then applying through our website. Amazing. It's amazing. And I encourage everyone to check out the site, check out the LinkedIn profile and join if you can, if this indeed is what you're looking for. Breen Sullivan, we could talk all day. I love all of it. And we will absolutely, um, we got to do this again and we got to get more women uh, in that boardroom. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Oh, thank you. I really hope that, you know, we start small, but if this can grow and get bigger and bigger, it could really change the demographic. 
cap tables and boards for small companies, which is, you know, the first step in what could really change things down the road. This presentation is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be relied upon as investment advice or the basis for making any investment decisions. Neither UBS Financial Services, Inc. nor any of its employees provide tax or legal advice. You should consult with your personal tax or legal advisor regarding your personal circumstances. In providing wealth management services to clients, we offer both investment advisory and brokerage services, which are separate and distinct and differ in material ways. For information, including the different laws and contracts that govern, visit UBS.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA, SIPC.